Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on how to develop a healthy sales culture. In it, you'll discover the eight steps to a healthy culture, along with inspiring stories and quotes. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 322. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really looking forward to my conversation with today's guest. He's the president of Wonderkind, which is a performance marketing engine that allows digital businesses to deliver one-to-one messages at scale. And he has a lot of experience as an executive at a number of different tech startups over the years. He also serves on the boards of multiple tech companies, and he mentors budding entrepreneurs. He is based in lovely Austin, Texas. So welcome to the show, Michael Osborne. Elizabeth, thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I am so glad that you can join me, and I know our listeners are going to really appreciate hearing what you have to say. But before we jump into that, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, for sure. So Michael Osborne, everybody, uh, president of Wonderkin, as Elizabeth mentioned. Um, My background started in engineering, actually, all the way back in the college days, but I I never really used that discreetly and directly for my career. I immediately moved into uh, sales consulting. I was basically in pre-sales for a a tech startup here in Austin, Texas, early days, ran client services for a web analytics firm, CoreMetrics. Uh, After that, started as basically the founding team CRO at Bizarre Voice here in Austin and Mm -hmm. had that role all the way through the IPO in 2012. Um, Certainly a fun run, taking that business from zero to over 140 million in run rate before we took it public. Uh, I joined Smarter HQ as CEO in 2014 and ran that business through the acquisition by Wonderkind just last year. Uh, So that's kind of the brief history of time for me. Absolutely. It sounds like you said, it's a lot of fun. And you've seen companies at kind of a lot of different stages of growth, which is um, always interesting. I think people don't, uh, people who haven't been a part of organizations through growth like that don't always um, appreciate the complexity <laughs> that is required for leaders to to manage. Totally agree with that. It, it is one of the unique aspects of the path that I've taken has been the fact that I've been able to see things at early stage all the way through you know growth and then scale. Uh, you know, joining Wonderkin last year, the business was already at a, a significant scale, and we've accelerated that over the last year, which is a lot of fun. But each one of those phases represents different challenges, particularly around you know what the topics we're going to bring up today around culture. It's it, it, each one has its own introspective points and moments where you really have to make the right decisions to get it to the next level. And I've I've seen those things. I've 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 done things really well. I've done things not so well. So I've, I'm happy to lend as many stories as I can to you and your listeners. Perfect. Well, you let us right into it. So thank you for that, Michael. Um, you have have been at a lot of these different organizations, not, not you know, a bazillion, but you know, a few. And yep. something you've consistently been focused on over the course of your career has been fostering a positive and effective team culture. That's something that you are really passionate about. So I'd like to focus our conversation on that and start with a really basic question is, what would you define as a healthy team culture? What does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, this, this is a question that uh, I've, I, I get it a lot, and I think the answer really does vary, but there are some core tenets of it that seem to be thematic each time I've witnessed or seen, you know, a real successful culture inside a business, whether I've consulted for it or been on the board of it or been a part of it. Uh, transparency is at the core of that for me. Mm-hmm. So being able to have and then foster an environment of actual transparency. I think a lot of people say the word. I think a lot of people feel like that's something that they should have, but then when it comes down to making the decisions, they be, you know things become uncomfortable, and often I see leaders fall back on what is easier to them because it's comfortable to them, and then from that, not foster that environment of actual transparency. Uh, you know, the simple things like sharing as much information with the company as you have, not just as you can, but as you have. If you've got the information as a leader, your team probably wants to know about it. Does that mean that you instantly tell them every conversation you have with the board or every time there's a risk in the business? No. Um, I I have this concept that I I use with my teams all the time, which I just call premature transparency. It's not that you're not going to talk to the team about it, but before that decision has been made or before that actual event is going to occur as opposed to being suspected of occurring, uh, it could be premature right? It could cause an issue. If you as a leader don't have a plan to react to whatever your situation is, positive or negative, it's probably premature 
to start sharing the information about it. So mm. it, there's a lot of like, you know, timing that goes into it, but at the at, at its core, a team that is able to give feedback to its leadership, a team that is comfortable saying to anyone in the org, CEO to intern, this is not right. I think it should be changed, even if it's their doing. Uh, a, a team that feels like they are part of the solution is one that will f- function at a very high level. And in order to foster that, I think it starts with transparency. There are a number of other aspects, but I think that one is the base for all of the rest. That makes so much sense. And um, and I can appreciate just, again, from my own experience and from working with clients, that issue of premature transparency, figuring out when is the right time. Because if you open up sometimes too soon, you're going to create uncertainty and fear, and people are going to be worried. But if you don't share anything, you're ignoring the fact that they they already are going to have some concerns. And if they hear nothing, most people tend to assume it's bad. <laughs> and so exactly. uh, the the more silent you are about anything going on, the more they're going to think, are they are they closing the company down? Are they going to be doing layoffs? Uh, is right. my job at risk? Um, right. uh, the, the crazy ideas people can come up with are, are kind of impressive sometimes. And so figuring out um, what information to share, I think obviously the last 18 months have been such an example of this. As leaders, knowing what you can share, are we going to reopen our office? When are we going to? What are the policies going to be? Are we going to require vaccinations? Are we going to have testing? What are the, everything is is so much more complicated. And as a leader, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next. But if you just think I'm going to, I'm going to wait until I have perfect information, your team is wondering what's going on and they they really need to hear that that transparency, whatever information you are able to share. Yeah, exactly. And actually you're touching on a point that I call uh, mad the Mad Libs effect, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's a lot of blanks on the page and they can be filled in by anyone any way they want to. But if you're not filling in those blanks for them and giving them the actual story, the real facts, the, the, you know, the plan, they'll fill it in however they want to. And generally that is biased negatively. Uh, the, 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 the biggest impact you see from this is attrition. Mm-hmm. When you have, especially a larger, you know, larger group of folks working for you, uh, the information not flowing from leader to the next level to all the way into the individual contributors means that they're all going to fill it in the way that they perceive it. And everyone's personality will choose a story of their own liking. And many will be negative. And thus, in turn, when someone else calls up, you know, a recruiter calls and says, hey, I can offer you 20% more compensation, they think everything's terrible here. So I'm going to go there because at least I'm getting paid more. When in reality, the plan was something that was really positive for them. Their opportunity going forward could have risen quickly. And without that knowledge, they're left with imperfect information. So they make an imperfect decision. And that's something that I talk to my teams about a lot, uh, which is make sure that you're not leaving blanks on the page. Fill in as many as you can, and the ones that you can't, you tell them when you will be able to fill them in. So there's no ambiguity around the knowledge that A, here's the real story, or B, they understand that that is a gap and they are finding out the answer for me, as opposed to being either oblivious or hiding it. The perception of leaders hiding information is so detrimental Mm -hmm. to an organization's morale, to the culture, as well as to the attrition potential of your teams because they will fill it in the wrong way. They will make assumptions and guaranteed they're wrong. They might be wrong bias positive, but rarely. Uh, those are the things that I try and prevent at all costs. And I think that goes back to another part of a healthy team culture, which is people have the information that they need to make the rational business decisions and to make personal decisions about their own contribution and, and long, long-term stay at a business. Um, if they have that information, they're much more likely to make the right call. Mm-hmm. That's so important. And and a part of, uh, I, I just can't get over that Mad Libs analogy. That is so perfect. I will be stealing that and using it. Just full No worries. <laughs> I probably stole it from somebody else. I just can't remember. But um, something that often happens as well that's part of this, and I feel like this is, is kind of more tied to what you were just saying. So often leaders are aware of a problem, a concern, a goal. And they spend a great deal of time figuring out what's the best solution to this challenge? What's the best way to move forward? And they've got all this backstory. They know all the research that was done. They know all the inputs that they got from various places. And then what they do is they package up the solution and they throw it over the wall to the team. They're like, this is what we're doing. And people find that 
a lot of times uh, off-putting. <laughs> Sometimes they they just have an immediate response of, I don't want to change. I don't want to do things differently. You're implementing a new system. Why? I, I Everything I think works fine the way that it is. And yeah. so if you're providing information ahead of time, we are aware or we believe that the current system that we have isn't going to take us to the next level. We are aware that something is not going to be supported in 2022, 2023, whatever. We have decided that we want to do this. So we are coming up with a plan to address that. And then as you go, filling in those blanks, letting them know what blanks still are, you know, um, you're giving people that that sense of, of comfort. I mean, it's basic change management, but so many leaders don't think to do it. And then you see people, I think a lot of people have just a natural resistance to change. And um, again, that leads to that attrition. And I can think of so many examples where really good initiatives were being rolled out, but they were done in such a way that they disempowered the team and, and they really didn't lead to the positive result that they could have. Yeah, you're, you're so right. Um, I, I, I think a lot about this because I have multiple stories in my background of when I did this poorly and learned uh-huh. from it the hard way, but also where you know I've seen it done really well and it really works. The context around a decision, a change, you know, that is so important for people to, to grasp and to understand in order for them to immediately understand the reason why we're moving forward with an answer. One, I think one of the biggest uh, gaps in, in leadership communications um, for folks that don't do this well, it's 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 a it's making a bunch of assumptions, right? Either you mm-hmm. assume they won't be able to understand the context because you know better than they do, which is a terrible assumption to make. You know, right? It goes back to why'd you hire the person if you don't think they're super smart and really good and you know way ahead of their time, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're hiring that kind of profile, we all are, then of course you should assume that they are rational, logical business people smart human beings that with given the same context would likely arrive at the same conclusion. So helping them by giving that context is uh, necessary for them to immediately grasp a major change, a big decision. In addition to that, it's not about them being part of the decision-making process. I think Uh leaders often worry that they're going to be, if they include everyone in the context, they're immediately going to be told, well, here's 15 other ways to do it, even though we've already made the decision. And that there's a, it's a careful balance to strike between I'm telling you this, but you don't get to say anything, or I'm telling you this so that you can you can give me feedback, but we're moving forward with this decision and here's why. Being informed versus being a decision maker is a balance to strike as a leader to make sure your team understands in which modes are they which. Um, because in some conversations, they may be part of the decision. In others, they may not be. I think it's also important to assume maturity. Hmm. We each have team members that we may or may not think are at the same maturity level as others. Fair. Those are opportunities for coaching, and I'll come back to that in a second. But assuming that they can understand that, assuming maturity, assuming that they will make rational business decisions also reinforces in them that they understand you believe in them, that you trust them, that you think they are good at what they do. A lot of times I think leaders make the mistake of not doing that, and then immediately the perception by their team is, well, they must not think I'm very good at what I do. They Mm -hmm. must not think I'm very smart. And that, that can be extremely deleterious to the relationship, to the morale, and to their belief that they should continue to work where they do. Um, the last one, I'm a point I want to make on this, you, the, all of these moments are great training opportunities as well. You know, mm-hmm. Let's say you have a room of 50 people, those are your employees, and you tell them about a big decision, you give them all the context, and there's five or so that are like just not agreeing, not getting it, don't like it. Great training opportunity to pull those folks aside either one-on-one or as a small group and say, let's go deeper on this. I'm willing to invest some time to show you the math that I did to get to this result. And I'm willing to accept that you may not agree with me on this, but my role as a leader is to make that call. And this is the call I made and here's why. I've done that before in decisions with my sales team at Bizarre Voice, with my team at Wonderkind. And you know, invariably, at least they now understand more about how I think and why I think the way I do. So they get more context but I also understand possibly some blind spots, some areas where I wasn't considering a specific aspect of a decision and its impact on the company. Uh, in those situations, I'm grateful for the ability to then learn from it and possibly adjust course or tweak it a little bit. But certainly for the next one, there always will be uh, being able to then have more context to make even a better decision or at least communicate in a, in a way that's easier for the team to immediately grasp and move forward. Um, I, I think th- those are areas where leaders have to focus on how they set that context, how they communicate, what assumptions they make, 
um, and then how they listen to feedback, whether or not it will change a decision, still listening to it in order to inform future decisions. Absolutely. So I know you mentioned you've got a few core tenants. We've talked about kind of that transparency, that um, making sure you're providing people the right information to make rational decisions. Um, are there any other kind of core foundational elements that you would identify as, as being so critical to a healthy team culture? There's a couple. I think the one that I want to mention quickly before I go on to the next, like more, you know, more core tenant, feedback is a part of that transparency mm-hmm. and being, being open to it, being accepting of it, being able to hear and not immediately try and defend or respond to mm-hmm. it. That it's so important for, for, for your team members to feel like they can do that. And you will get better information from them, better from whether it's, you know, intelligence from the battlefield kind of information or just understanding of what's really going on inside your own company. As a leader, particularly senior leader, the further you are disconnected from the day to day, uh, you will gain so much more uh, insight into the company and market if everyone in the company feels like they can approach you. And putting on that approachability, making sure that you have that is important. And there are actually uh, down to the body language level things that folks can do that will improve their ability to be, you know, to be approached, but also to receive information. And I think it's a, it's an area of focus for any leader to, to make sure mm-hmm. that they're able to do that. Um, but I just wanted to add that thought to the transparency piece before moving on to, um, honestly, the work hard, play hard side of things. I know it's cliche, uh, mm-hmm. but having a culture of fun where work is not work. Work is thing, the thing you do between nine to five or, you know, still in nine to nine or nine to midnight or however long you work that you, you, you enjoy it, you know, like it, it's got to have a component of something that you want to do. And I, I find that the, the absolute best performers on my teams throughout the years have been people who clearly enjoyed what they were doing. Uh, and this one branches off into a few areas, but the one that I really want to mention today is making sure that people are in the right roles for their mm-hmm. capabilities and desires. So you can have a really, you can have a high-performing culture. It's rare if you have that without feedback and transparency. It's even more rare if it's not fun because people don't want to work in a, in a grinder. They want to work where it's, it, it is enjoyable. Um, but then beyond that, it's making sure that the folks who are being asked to really outperform and 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 really drive the business forward are the ones that are in the right spots. Uh, you can have super brilliant, unbelievably talented, ambitious people in the wrong seat, and they will barely perform adequately at all. And it's terrible for them. There's no fun in it whatsoever. They're the first to shut down and the first to quit. And now you've lost amazing talent just because you haven't figured out exactly the right role, responsibilities, and operating parameters that they should have. Being able to have some autonomy in any role is critical. And in certain leadership roles, I think it's, it's extremely critical. And that, that all of those things combine to create a, ser- you know, a series of people in their seats that are in the right seats that really enjoy being there. And, and guess what? Those are the folks that are like the emitters of the signal mm-hmm. of that positive culture. They're the ones that the first time they hear from one of their team members, something really bad happened. I'm unhappy with this person. I don't like this. This client just said something really bad. They're the first line of defense. They're the first ones to respond. If they are as positive about the culture, the performance, the company, the work you're doing as you are as a senior leader, they're going to fast filter that and immediately correct the situation. The longer that waits, the longer it takes to get to you, et cetera. Like those are time that that time is lost and it makes the it makes that mad lib story come back and people start filling in blanks the wrong way. So I, I do think fun is a core tenant of a high performing very positive culture. Uh, how you do that is variable. It can be, it varies depending on industry, depending on who, you know, the individual types, depending on the roles. What's fun for an engineering team is not necessarily the same fun as a sales team's outing kind of thing, right? Being contextually specific to what makes that uh, individually good for each of those roles is important. And I, I think that, you know, it also kind of begs the side point of a culture is a, a, a living and breathing animal but it has different components and each team can have components that are their own. That is not disparate culture. That is simply application specific to a role that makes sense contextually for those roles. And that's what I think allows each of those functions to outperform. So I I kind of went through a few things there, but at the core, Elizabeth fun is a part of a culture that I think is a requirement. It can't be forced, but it shouldn't be ignored. If that makes sense. 
Definitely. I I couldn't help but think as you were talking, um, we just did a team hike on Friday and we're recording on Monday. And it's it's so fun and you get to know people so much better when you have that that time with the people that you're working with outside of that work context. And again, it's it's such a cliche. And obviously, you know, if you're if you're spread out across the country, you can't exactly get together to do a random hike. Um, and it, the, the method is going to be different for each organization. But um, that that ability to connect with people that you don't necessarily work with day to day, you know, because you have the different roles, um, that ability to just kind of breathe and, and to relax. It's it's such a powerful thing. And um, figuring out, like you said, what, what works for your team, what works for your budget, what works for, for, right. for logistics, all of that is important. Um, and then to, to that idea of the right people in the right roles, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, like you said, great talent leave because they weren't in the right place. And you can't, you know, twist and turn and pretzel your organization around one person just to come up with a strange job for them. But most often, if you find people who are talented, who are bright, who are engaged, who are interested, there's there's somewhere in your organization that you could fit them that will that will tie to both their their interests and um, their skills and, and fill a need for you. And so um, it, it is such an important thing that I think especially as organizations grow, people are just kind of wearing hats because when they joined, that's what needed to be done. And having the, the attention and the, the intention to, to move people around if necessary is one of those tasks of leadership where you're going to see significant return on an initial period of maybe discomfort. Yep. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I've, I've seen too many situations in my past where it was apparent to everyone around the, you know, an individual or a team that something needed to change. And even what the change was, was probably pretty obvious. And a leader took too long to make that either mm-hmm. out of fear of disruption or going back to the, like, you know, the who moved my cheese emotional curve that people go through when change happens. And because of that, it actually caused a lot more pain than what it would have done had you just made the call understood it, made, made it public, talked about it as a group, and then moved forward. Uh, so couldn't agree with you more on that at all. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, what defines a culture. And I think we've kind of led into this, but I'll, I'll ask it as, as a specific question anyway. Um, what, what do you feel like a leader can do to proactively build a culture? Yeah. yeah. So a couple of things actually come to mind when you ask that. So one, I think, you know, first of all, going back to feedback and transparency, do those things. You have to, you have to live that. So any, anything that a leader does and says has to be treated as significant. And I mean, I, I remember times when I was at Bizarre Voice where I was running sales globally. And if I was in a bad mood, the forecast would go down that day. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't really ask about any of those deals. But if I was exhibiting negative energy, if I was bringing to the office something that was happening elsewhere in my life, not necessarily at work, but I'm in my office being a grump and basically people look at that and they're like, well, you know, something's wrong. So I'm going to be scrutinous of everything I'm doing. And guess what? The forecast would literally drop. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you have to, as a leader, live those things. You have to be transparent. You have to exhibit the same characteristics you want them to do within their teams and with, with each other, but also with you. I think it's very important for a leader to demonstrate clearly a trust, but verify attitude towards most things that the team is doing. When teams feel micromanaged, when they feel dictated to, when they feel that they are being prescribed a plan to follow directly and their ability to contribute to it, to have any autonomy whatsoever is diminished or removed. I think that is one of the worst situations you can get in because, you know, at the more positive end of the spectrum, people will feel like they're not quite using all of their abilities. At the negative end, they will disagree blatantly and figure that they need to leave in order for that situation to improve for them. I think... The concept of trusting as much as you can, verifying the results, holding people accountable, coaching when needed, responding when things don't go right, all of that, yes, you still do that. But start from a position of trust. You hire people for a reason, allow them to do that job and making sure that that they understand that they have that ability, that autonomy at any role, right? Individual contributor, intern level, all the way to SVP, running an entire department. There's a lot of trust in different ways but there should always be a lot of trust. Um, and I think the, the ability to act autonomously also encourages people to both learn on their own and grow, be curious, but grows their careers over time as mm-hmm. leaders, which you know, invariably everyone wants to grow, whether they want to grow towards leadership or advance the ball in, in, a, different, uh, in a different way. 
that there, no one just wants to stay exactly the same. At least I, I don't know too many people like that. And those kinds of that, that, that ability rather to give them the ability to do things without necessarily having to check every time or get approvals every time goes a long way towards them feeling like that, you know, this is a place where they can do that. They can grow. Um, I, 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 you know, I have one more to that, but I didn't know, Elizabeth, if you wanted to say something in response to that, that one. Well, I, so much of what you said, um, just a hundred percent support, but, but one thing that's operationally important, um, along with it, this is culture and this is, this is people and, and making sure that they feel supported and they feel the room to grow. If you don't do this, if you don't give people trust and autonomy to make decisions, you are making yourself a bottleneck and you are significantly limiting the potential for growth. You're also removing the potential for you to get promoted because you're going to become that, you know, one person who is responsible for making every single decision, um, you know, coming up with all of the instructions within your department. And that is a lonely, that is a disempowering, and that is a very, it's basically, it's an impossible job for you to, to do. You're, you're basically trying to create, pe- you know, make people be little robots that you are programming, yeah. each of them. It's, nobody wants to be a robot, and you don't want to be programming an entire team of robots. It's, no, it's not fun no. for you, and you're not allowed to, you're not giving your spouse time and space to do the things that you should be doing as a leader. So, um, can't, can't I, yeah, agree more. Totally agree, with you. <laughs> T- totally agree with you on that. I, I think the one thing I'll add is if there are any leaders out there listening who are thinking to themselves, you know, it's been a little while since anyone's really considered me for a promotion, et cetera. Take a look at exactly what you just said, Elizabeth, take mm-hmm. a look at what decisions are they making? What decisions are their teams making? Are they legitimately putting forth the best work of their team members and promoting it as their work, as opposed to either taking credit for it, keeping it, you know, behind scenes, et cetera. Um, I, I think any leader should focus on basically putting themselves out of a job because as soon as they do that and their teams can run everything they were doing before, that's when you get promoted. Mm-hmm. It's not, you actually, you don't lose a job. You, you go take on even more. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you inspire those the groups of leaders within your team to grow and do the same. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with your point. Absolutely. All right. So you said you've got one other, um, or, or maybe maybe more than one, but what, what else can leaders do to proactively build that culture? A handful of others, but there was one that immediately came to mind, which was to have genuine care mm. for your team. Uh, and I say this not to sound, you know, cliche again, but legitimately caring about how people are doing inside the, the, the business, but also in their lives. Um, and this, this gets expressed in many ways. Sometimes it is a personal conversation. Sometimes it's advice about something going on outside of work. Sometimes it's advice about something going on inside of work. Um, it, it, can, it can be displayed in areas like compensation so that folks feel like they are properly compensated for their contribution so that they are appreciated for the hard work that they deliver. Um, it can be visibility mm-hmm. inside the organization. One, one thing I've found, which is fascinating, particularly in sales teams, which you would think, wow, they're just money motivated, right? As long as you pay them more, They'll keep doing more and they'll work harder and whatever. I found actually that the the glory side of things, as opposed to just the compensation mm-hmm. piece, way more impactful. You know, the, being at the top of the leaderboard, getting the award at the end of the quarter, end of the year, being recognized by the CEO or by the head of sales. Uh, you know, anytime, like when I was working with client services organizations, if I got positive feedback from a customer, I would send that to the company. Mm-hmm. Not, to, not just to that person saying, hey, they really liked that thing you did last week. No, the whole company can see that this person really knocked it out of the park, went above and beyond. And those kinds of recognition moments, they stick in people's minds for the rest of their career. Absolutely. And it, encourage, you know, it encourages all kinds of positive effects. But having genuine care for whether or not people like what they're doing, are happy, are well taken care of, are well compensated in a fair manner, uh, are able to give feedback when things aren't working so that, they, that you can make the changes you need to to make their world better. Uh, it's not just, you know, make a list of things that people are griping about and start checking them off. It's genuinely caring about the individual and what their career path looks like and how you can help them. This is easier to do when you're running a smaller team or your earlier stage. It gets harder and harder. Uh, and, you know, you, I, I try and maintain that even now in my career with a couple hundred folks reporting into me at Wonderkind. I enjoy the individual conversations with folks that are managing the accounts or selling our deals or working on marketing events because I learn so much from the details of what that day-to-day is like. I can help because I've probably seen a situation or two that is relevant to whatever they're going through. And it, it feels good, honestly. I enjoy it, but I think they do as well where I, when we get the chance to lend some experience to someone earlier in their career or collaborate with someone who's been there, done that as well, and we've both got great ideas, 
Um, any of those situations are honestly the favorite parts of my day. Um, and I, I encourage all leaders to do that. Have genuine care for whether or not your teams are enjoying what they do, have the tools and, and resources needed to execute, and are you know fairly compensated and recognized for the hard work that they do. All of that also, you know, to flip it a bit, makes it a lot easier when you have to care about whether or not someone is kind of you know in an underperformance scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll they'll feel your approach differently. It's not going to be oh no, the big boss is coming in the room to yell at me. It's more I think they're going to help me. And I probably need that help. So I'm going to raise my hand early that I don't know what I'm doing here or that I think I may have screwed up, that those kinds of issues are actually more fortifying for building a relationship over time. And often the best ways for individual performers to change from maybe kind of borderline, not quite there yet to, to total outperformers, because now they're paying attention to that. They're, they're asking for help when needed and they're executing on it. So I, I think, you know, genuinely caring for folks, it again kind of, uh, it, it spreads out into a couple of different areas, but it's so critical for a leader to do that. And that contributes to that positive culture um, with, you know, all of the other things we've talked about. Uh, but that's, I think, what allows it to remain and grow as a, as a thing itself, the culture itself. Absolutely. And something that, um, you know, as you mentioned, if you've got a team of 10 people or, or fewer, it's it's pretty, it's not easy, but it's doable for you as a leader to, to foster those one-on-one relationships with each of your team members. As your company grows, if you have consistently demonstrated your care for people, and if you've demonstrated ways that you're doing this, whether it's having one-on-one meetings with people, um, sometimes going out for coffee, or you know, again, when it's when it's safe and possible, um, and and being off campus basically with a person, and um, doing that, you're teaching your team to do that. And so, as you grow and as you scale, leaders are going to see, hey, you know. My CEO is doing this with me. I should do this with my team as well. Um, and sometimes even being explicit, <laughs> it's never a bad idea. I think so many people get promoted into leadership and don't ever get trained um, and expectations aren't, aren't always clear, but um, it, it really does cascade down and you discover challenges and problems before they turn into somebody needing to leave. You know, let's say somebody has a really complicated family situation. Um, we've seen so many people there. They've got childcare issues. Maybe they're taking care of an elderly parent, um, all these other things. And they might, if they're just all caught up in their head, they might think, I, I can't do all this. I just need to quit my job and focus on my family right now. And if you've fostered relationship with that person, and if they're comfortable either coming to you or you're consistently checking in with them, you might be able to come up with, is there a furlough? Um, can we change your hours? Can we provide some flexibility in your schedule? Can we can we make this happen so you get to keep that person? And you'd never find out the specifics if if you don't have a relationship with someone. So um, incredibly, incredibly important. And again, it's one of those things that's kind of become more obvious over the course of, yeah. of the last 18 yeah. months, but it's always been important. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, COVID definitely accelerated a number of these things. And I think everyone, who had to work from home all of a sudden, particularly in Zoom situations, they learned really quickly that the in-person communications and contact and just the care of being around other people meant so much that we didn't really know before, and now mm-hmm. we do. Uh, and I've, I have seen that. I've seen it accelerate the trajectory of a number of leaders that are, their, their empathy is now off the scale. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they, they see it differently, feel it, because they went through it themselves. Um, and I, I think that, like, if anything stays from all of the changes we've had to make because of COVID, I, I would love it if that's one of them, um, because I think it's important that we do care for our people and about our people. Um, it, it means so much to everyone, and it allows for them to outperform in ways that they now feel very comfortable doing so. Um, so couldn't agree more again. Yeah, and it's something that I think we just constantly need to realize. You spend more time awake with your coworkers than with anyone else in your life. Um, you know, again, if, if everybody's working remotely, you might see your family more than you used to, but you're, you know, a solid eight plus hours a day, you're interacting with your, your coworkers, with your clients, you're in work mode. And it's, it's an important thing to, to think about because, um, it's, if, if you're making it so people are not happy (laughs) in that time, if you're, if you're ignoring the fact that, that people have, you know, personalities and needs and real lives outside of that, you're, you're really um, limiting your potential to, to get to know them as a person and to uh, give them space to grow into, into something that you can't even anticipate. And um, to me, that's, that's one of the most satisfying elements of leadership is seeing people um, exceed 
the potential that they've solved for themselves, as well as sometimes even potential you saw for them. And yep. um, it's an incredibly satisfying feeling. Yep. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, and it, it actually parlays into one more thought that I had on uh, high-performing cultures and what leaders really can do to, to foster mm-hmm. it. Um, the, the idea of being present mm. and willing to do what your team is doing. Mm. Uh, I think as leaders become more and more on the executive side versus the execution side, uh, a lot of those things drop off. And naturally, some have to. There are things that, you know, you now have teams to do those things. And so I get it. But the smallest example of being able to, willing to, and, and honestly happy to engage uh, with your teams in the things that they are doing and help out wherever possible to jump on a call, to man the booth at a trade show, to, you know, literally serve food at the lunch line when you bring in lunch from, you know, someplace. Anything you can do to remind folks that you are just one of the team as opposed to the leader um, allows for them to see you as that person, be more approachable. But it, it also just it immediately engenders like a sense of uh, equality among the team, which I think is a, an important piece to the culture mm. itself. I think when there's an us them of leadership versus the staff kind of thing, that, that like that should never be. Um, when it's felt that way, it's hard to have a good culture because there's naturally a divide. So it requires as leaders and as individuals being present, both mentally and physically, be, literally being in the room, being part of the conversation. Don't be on your phone, checking email all the time. Focus on the conversation or realize that you probably weren't needed for it. So then next time, don't attend. But <laughs> to be present and willing to participate in whatever that, you know, the, the work is, I think just shows people how much you care, A, about them, but also B, about the performance of the business and are willing to do whatever it takes to get there. I, I, I you know, personally enjoy doing a lot of those things that I mentioned. I, I've done those over the course of years in my career. It's been more difficult with COVID because we're not in person. You don't see the happenstance occurrences of things like this, where you can just jump in and do something for five minutes and make an impact. Um, but as we're, as return to the office has come back, and we're spending quite a bit of time with a number of our folks already back in the office, that it, there's been more and more of those. And it's reminded me how, A, enjoyable they are, but also, B, what they can mean to the team. Um, and you know, it goes back to being genuine about it and, and genuinely caring. Don't do it just to look like you're doing it. Do it because you like doing it. Do it because you want to help. Do it because you, I mean, we all do the same stuff. Just because you're in a leadership role doesn't mean you're now privileged away from doing any of that. It's, it's a matter of making sure people understand you are grounded, you are real, and they can come up and talk to you about whatever their challenges are, whether they be personal or professional, and you're willing to help. It kind of all ties together, I guess, is where I'm going with this. Yeah. And just the, the idea of being present for folks means a lot. Uh, making sure that you see the great work they're doing, call it out, compliment, make sure that they understand you recognize them, but being willing to help, being willing to do their job with them, help them do their job means a lot. And it goes a long way in fostering all the same things we talked about uh, during this conversation. Well, and and something that I just want to add to that, and I think it was kind of implicit in what you said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it explicit, is that it also, as a leader, sometimes you actually don't realize the work that people are doing. And you don't understand um, how complex things are, how much time that it takes. And you don't want to get to a point where you're so divorced from the day-to-day work of your business that you end up making poor decisions because of a lack of information. And so if you pitch in and help with something, you might be like, wow, this is a really clunky process. <laughs> this doesn't work like I thought it worked. Or, you know, I used to do this and, and it was a 70 step process. And now they've streamlined it with new technology. It's easier. Um, I, I need to think about how it fits into our business differently now. And so staying close to the work, getting your hands dirty, being, being willing to, to you know, sit on the front lines with your people, you're also just going to get a much better sense of what's going on in your organization. And I think nothing fosters that divide between leadership and, and a team more than the feeling that I'm doing a lot of really hard work and leadership doesn't even know. They don't understand. They couldn't do it. They wouldn't be able to survive in my day to day, and it gets that that resentment, that us versus them mentality, and yeah. you know that picture of like all oh, the boss would come down and they'd be crying at lunchtime, whatever it might be. It, it, you don't want to to foster that, and you know staying close to what they're doing. Again, you're not going to spend eight hours every day doing that, but um, getting involved when necessary really does um, it benefits you as well as them. 
Totally agree with you. I, I think it's almost like being your own undercover boss episode. Mm-hmm. Anybody's seen that show, you know, like do it to yourself, right? You don't have to dress up in a costume and, and, and or disguise and act like you're not there. You can just go do the work with your team. Whenever I get on a, a call with a customer and I'm working with our client services personnel who are, you know, the day-to-day handlers of those customers and work through a challenge with them, I learn a lot. I learn mm-hmm. a lot about of how our business is, is, is viewed in the eyes of our customer. I, I learn a lot about the challenges that each of those customers have. Invariably, I build a relationship with that person on, on, the, you know, on the internal side to where they know they could come to me next time and I'll, I'll be willing to help again. Um, and it, you know, what I've found is often, it's not so much that all of a sudden I'm going to be on 100 of these calls a week. It's more like they just know that that's available to them. It's one uh-huh. of the things that they can escalate to if they need to. And having that allows them to operate a little differently, often avoiding the need for me to even get on a call. But they know that I'm willing to, even if it is just a positive call, it's just an update, it's just one of our executive business reviews, and we're going through all good news. It's still great to see and hear and understand the performance of the team. Almost every time, there's at least one or two points of coaching. Almost every time, I learn a couple of points of things where I'm like, this is so amazing. I did not know we were doing that. Mm -hmm. I really love what we do. Um, And those, those, to your point, go a long way with the team. Definitely. And a lot of times as a, as a top leader, you're the one who's out there kind of being the brand evangelist and, you know, doing PR and doing a lot of interviews. And if you have some of those stories, some of those examples that give so much color to when you're having conversations, when you're being interviewed on a podcast, for example, and um, to, to be able to really understand it also just um makes it sound more more colorful, more entertaining. So many times I talk to founders who founded a company because they were passionate about something, but it was 20 years ago. And they know, they have the passion for what they were doing 20 years ago, but it doesn't exactly relate to how the company is currently working. And um, you you really want to stay close. Totally agree. All right. Well, I'm watching the clock. I know we need to we need to keep moving. So I'm sure you have a lot more in terms of proactively building a healthy culture. But I do also want to touch on a situation that I think a lot of leaders um, have have experienced or are worried about is what happens if you come in and you've got a negative culture, whether you've been there for a long time and you're just kind of looking up and realizing, you know, I I don't think we have the culture we want or whether you just got hired um, and you joined a team and you're kind of in charge of transforming that culture. What can you do when you've got that negative culture? Yeah. So, I, you know, I've, I've had the luxury in my career of not having had to join a business that had that. Um, I, I can say, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Wonderkin's culture, very positive. I really appreciate it. And there were components of it that I think needed to be honed a little bit. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that had to do with COVID around being able to transparently share information. And we've, we've just made amazing strides this year. We have so many different people focused on so many aspects of it. And there's so much care applied to the employee base. It's just phenomenal to see it. I think, though, I've, I have coached others on this, and I have been part of boards before where this existed. Mm-hmm. And in general, you know, the, these the, even in companies where the culture is relatively positive, pockets can build because of issues. Mm-hmm. Getting to the root of the problem of what is causing that is so critical. So, it, And it can vary. It can be there's an individual who is simply a curmudgeon, and they just uh-huh. don't want to be positive. You really have to figure out why. You have to discuss that with them. And I mean, to be honest, in my career, I have had to do this with a couple of folks. It's the worst option, but sometimes there's no other. They just can't be a part of the organization anymore. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a decision as a leader you have to make. It should be the last resort, but it's certainly one of the options on the table if that person cannot be coached to have a more positive attitude. In general, there's a root cause, though. There is a product issue. There's a customer process they don't like. There is a leader that is put in place overbearing processes that now create so much extra work that don't generate value. There's there's something that is grinding the gears of the teams that create this. And you know, if, if you're doing all the other things, though, if you're transparent and you're having really fun doing what you're doing, you're trusting f- folks, you have care for your folks, it's really hard to have a blanket you know, negative culture because I think so many of those things would root it out early days. But if you don't have those things, start with that list, figure out, are you doing that? Are you doing enough of it? Is everyone doing it? Are your entire leadership, is your entire leadership group doing that? If not, fix that. Uh, But then are there other issues either with the product, the service, the way we go to market, the customer, something that is causing the team, you know, angst and the leadership team has not yet addressed those similar to the characteristics of individuals and the feedback you want from them. If you're not listening to your team and how your go-to-market functions and how your services model functions and how some of the core processes work with your customers, 
And in turn, customers are either allowed to, encouraged to, or just not, you know, not reminded of whether they treat you poorly or not. Like that, that is the kind of thing that you have to root out. It just requires a number of conversations and getting to the ground truth of what is really causing the issue. Mm. I've generally found it to be the case in my experience that if it's a negative culture, there's a reason behind it. It has something to do with one of those factors of the business or individuals. Um, and if there's no coaching or encouragement otherwise, if there's no bringing you know, light to that problem, then all kinds of things grow in the darkness and it's mm-hmm. not good. So often just calling it out and saying, hey, I know we have this and I know that these people are really upset about it and I know that this is an issue and I'm going to go solve it, but I want you guys to know I, I know immediately mm-hmm. changes the problem, right? So I think it's, it, it goes back to a lot of the things we're talking about, but it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of understanding. It's a lot of asking questions and being honest and transparent. And sometimes it might be about you. It might be about you, the leader, as mm-hmm. you're doing stuff that's causing a bunch of problems. You need to be open for that and, and be willing to accept that and, and make changes. Um, so approaching it with you know, humility and openness and, and, and getting to the, the ground truth of what is causing those, ca- causing those issues that is really all you can do. Then you just have to go to work and solve for them, right? And, and communicate what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, what the plan is, what the timeline is, make sure everyone understands it, but then go and accomplish those changes so that you can improve the opportunity for a positive culture to be fostered. Absolutely. I've had clients where, for example, they released a product and had done all kinds of testing, did everything right that they could have, and still there was a problem that just hadn't been perceived. And that can poison culture really quickly. If you've got salespeople who think I'm still expected to go to, to go to market with a product that people are going to complain about, I'm not going to do that. And then you've got customer service, like they're, they're setting me up to have all these calls from angry, angry clients. And if you can get ahead of that and say, we are aware that we've got a problem. Here's what we're going to do. Here's, here's the expectation of you as salespeople. Maybe we're going to say, you don't have to sell this. Maybe we're going to say, you're going to sell it and communicate something differently. Whatever it might be, it, it all goes back to that transparency. And and trusting people. And um, so often, like you said, it if you're not open to the problem could be anything. It could be me. It could be our product. It could be one person, whatever it might be. If you if you put blinders on, you're just perpetuating that culture. And um, at some point it's going to bubble up into into a really dangerous situation. So that that's Absolutely. great. All right. I know we need to wind down. So a question I always like to ask is, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? It could be related to what we've been talking about today or completely different. Yeah. So I, I, I was thinking about this um, and I read all kinds of different articles online almost every day. I have like a bunch of different blog feeds and I, I honestly would struggle to rattle off some of the best ones. I just find and highlight or save the articles and distribute those to my teams or whatever. Uh, but there's one book that I come back to literally every time for leaders that will sound like it's irrelevant, but trust me, it's not. Uh, it's called The Definitive Book of Body Language. It was written mm. by, uh, by a couple in like the 80s. I, I, and they've updated it since a couple of times, but I mean, we're not like the data around body language and our perception of it and how folks perceive nonverbal communication, to be honest, really hasn't changed all that much. A lot of the <laughs> words have changed, sure. The vernacular shifts. Um, but the, the perception that humans have of others nonverbally is relatively steady over the last 30 years. So it's this book that honestly, I've, I've read it a handful of times. I've delivered my own like version of a training on it to my teams in the past. And it, it did one thing for me back in the day that I want to talk about related to feedback and related to culture, because it was a major learning lesson for me. And it's a short story, but I, I, this is my, my favorite learning from this book. Mm-hmm. There's this position that you sit in where you put your hands on your head and you have your arms kind of like your hands interlocked and you're leaning back. It's called the thinker. Mm-hmm. It looks like it looks like you're you know you're leaning back and you're thinking about something. The the perception that teams have from that, people have from that, is that you're not paying attention to them. That you've already decided what the answer is, and you're mm-hmm. just waiting to cut them off and say something. You already have the answer. You're not listening. And I was getting feedback in our manager feedback survey that people were like, you know what, I, I come to you with a problem, but you're not listening to me. You don't always hear the the, the real you know truth of the solution. And I took this so personally. I was like, no, I, I know I listen. I, I, I know I, pay, I, I try so hard. And I realized as I noticed by reading this book, what I was doing, first of all, the perception is there, but also the linkage to the mind of what your body is doing is so incredibly strong. If your body is doing a thing, your mind will go that route. If your mind is thinking a thing, your body will go that route. Mm. So I, I was cutting people off. I was getting feedback for it. I was building not a good culture, right? I was, it was building a culture of I'm in the ivory tower. I know what I'm doing. They don't. 
uh, and I'm not going to be able to listen and help. I simply stopped doing that. I guarantee you, I actually did listen better, but my team immediately reacted to that positively. Mm. That's one of the things that I took out of this book. Um, as a as a leader for the nonverbal communication side, it's so it, it's like fascinating to me, right? How you can communicate nonverbally and have it really be impactful. So I recommend that book. It's available on Amazon, I'm sure, but I, I, I've read it a million times, and it's one of those things that kind of changed a number of the ways I interact and the way I I, I literally position myself in a room, um, and it allows for you know folks to basically hear me better, right, and understand me better, which also allows me to understand them better. So. Kind of unrelated, but Elizabeth, you asked. I had to give you a good answer, and that's yeah. my favorite of all of them. No, that that really sounds like it, and that's such a great example of a story. Um, I'm somebody who doesn't always have a good picture of my body language and facial expression. And I guess one slight silver lining to the last 18 months of being on Zoom all the time is I see what faces I'm making and um, and, and I don't have the most pleasant resting face. And so just even <laughs> being aware of that and, you know, being more intentional. Um, it's, it's body language is, I think it's 70% of communication is body language. I, I think in the book they describe it as 85. Yeah. It, it's it's just, uh, yeah, yeah, because there's, um, there's the body language and the facial expression is the rest. Right. And right. it's, it's insane. Like the words that we speak are, aren't so, are not all that important. And I, I say that on a podcast. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> oh, that's great. That's all great. right. Well, for listeners who want to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Uh, wonder, wonderkind.co is our website. Um, we're there. We're listed there. Please feel free to send me a LinkedIn message. I'd be happy to connect with anybody. I, I enjoy talking about this, uh, honestly, in my personal life and professional life. So happy to help out whoever I can, however I can. That really comes through. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Michael. Absolutely, Elizabeth. Enjoyed it. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Michael and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, two, two. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people learn about the show. If you're not subscribed, you can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. We also would love if you have any feedback for us. You can leave us ratings and reviews in whatever your platform is of choice, or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!